Welcome to the Armani Talks podcast. I'm your host, Armani Talks. Uh, these podcasts are going to be the long-form podcast, which you can go ahead and listen to on Spotify, Apple, Stitcher, all the different po- uh, podcast platforms out there. And you can actually watch these episodes as well. In these episodes, I'm going to be talking about a variety of different concepts that somehow deal with soft skills. Because when you're breaking down soft skills, what we need to understand is that we're breaking down uh, the principles of uh, human nature, psychology, and such. And the byproduct of that is us learning more about topics such as public speaking, creativity, writing, emotional resilience, and much more. So let's get started off with a topic that you probably weren't expecting today, cooking. The first time that I ever learned to cook was under a pretty dark circumstance. I had just gotten suspended from school. I believe this was around the 11th grade. And your boy was bored. He didn't really know uh, what he was going to do. Uh, So um, there was a certain period where I was like, I'm going to learn how to make an egg. So I opened my fridge. I took the egg out. I cracked it which was weird because I've always heard these different um, stories about people who tried to uh, uh, crack the egg. And apparently that's the part that they messed up on. They're like, if you've never made an egg, don't undermine how difficult the cracking part can be. That's step one. But surprisingly, this was the easiest part for me. I cracked it on uh, the, the cabinet. I just like hit it and I... I got this egg, and I put it in the pan. I thought, anyone could cook. I mean, what's so difficult about this? A couple of minutes goes on by, and I realize a fatal mistake that I made in my cooking journey. I didn't put in any oil. So since I didn't put in any oil, uh, the egg started to, like, stick uh, to the pan, and uh, it was just a big mess. But at least I learned a lesson. The lesson was, you got to put the oil in, then you put in the egg. Because the oil is what allows the egg to have that lubricant. The next time that I tried it, your boy made one of the best sunny side up eggs out there. And when I made that, I had a new perspective. The perspective was that I could turn raw ingredients into structured uh, things. And after I made the sunny side up egg, I was like, I can't just eat this egg by itself. I got to do something with this. So I heated up some toast and I started to have a meal now. I continued to do this for the next couple of days. And as my suspension was wrapping up, I was like, I mean, this can't be it. Uh, There has to be other things that I could do with this egg. So I tried to experiment now. And the way that I was experimenting was, uh, I was like, it's time for scrambled. So I began to, uh, like do the same process again. And this time I scrambled the eggs and once again, it tasted amazing. Even though you may think that I'm speaking just about cooking right now, it's not that simple because it was something much more meaningful. What I learned from that moment was that you could learn one thing. And if you really learn it, you're not just someone that's memorizing formulas on how to crack eggs and stuff, but you really learn how to make an egg, uh, sunny side up, omelet, scrambled, it doesn't matter. You learn it once, and then you could remix it. And once you remix it, you're starting to become a better cook. Because I didn't stop with the sunny side up. I started with the sunny side up, and then I went on to scrambled I went on to omelets. I tried all these different other eggs uh, in different dishes where it wasn't the star of the show. It was simply a compliment. And this is how I believe learning should happen. You learn something in depth and you're not fooling anyone. You're not trying to learn in order to just pass an exam or anything like that. You try to know it for yourself. And then from there, you're just starting to do these little remixes. Every now and then, I'm over here talking to someone And they're like, oh, yeah, dude, I could write blogs very well, but I can never write a book. You know, that's just in a completely different category. 
And when I hear something like that, I'm like, man, you just don't get it, do you? You are pretty much doing the same exact thing. It's just a, a stretched out version of a blog. Now, granted, there's certain differences in the blog writing process versus the book writing process, but the ultimate fundamentals still hold true. You're writing, okay? And once you really know the essence of writing, now it's up to you to just remix that. You remix it into tweets, into blogs, into books, and such. But people don't think like that. They focus too much on the derivatives rather than the fundamentals. What's the difference? The derivatives are the byproduct of the fundamentals, but the fundamentals are something that you need to start off with. And if you don't know the fundamentals, eventually you're going to be exposed. And just to give you a quick little analogy, uh, what's the, uh, the derivative, orange juice or the orange? The orange juice is because the orange juice cannot exist without the orange first. The orange is the fundamental. Writing is the fundamental. And blogs, tweets, books, all of these are the derivatives of that. I like to view the derivatives as processed fundamentals. And that's how we need to truly learn something. Why is learning so important for communication skills in the first place? It's because when you're thinking communication skills, what exactly are you doing? I mean, are you just a how guy or are you a what guy? What's the difference? The how guy is how a lot of people start off. They'll be like, you know, going to their first Toastmasters meeting and they'll be like, how do I stand? How do I look at the audience? How do I uh, change up my voice? But then you ask them, it's like, well, what's your talk about? What's my talk about? What, what does that matter? Let's go back to the how. How do I stand? How, you see what I'm saying? And I can't hate on this because this was me. When I went to my uh, first couple of Toastmasters meeting, that's all I was thinking about. I'm like, how do I do this? How do I do that? And I wasn't putting in enough emphasis on the what. Start off with the what. Believe in the what wholeheartedly. And the how just falls out of that. You know, uh, let me just bring the spotlight onto you. Imagine that you're over here speaking about something that you're passionate about. And you know you're passionate about it if you can ramble on it. If you can't ramble on it, then find something that you can ramble on. And I'm over here asking you, well, what, what exactly is this topic? What exactly is a computer? Explain it to me. Basketball, explain it to me. Uh, your wardrobe, explain it to me. And if you're passionate about it, there's going to be that level of oomph. They're like, you're like, well, where do you want me to begin? And it's like, the other person is like, well, begin anywhere. And now it's like this beautiful tonality just comes out of you. Your eye contact is there. The palms are just flowing out of you. See, the, the greatest communicators view themselves as a vessel for the idea. Uh, rather than trying to put the spotlight onto you, put all the spotlight onto the idea and everything else just flows out of it. And since starting Armani Talks, I have... I've been pretty prolific in terms of content creation. I've released um, at least 500 YouTube videos, 500 blogs, uh, 500 podcasts, 1,000 emails, 70,000 tweets. Uh, you could say like 20, 30 books, uh, 50 classes. And you may be thinking like, man, like this guy probably thinks it's all about him now, right? Because like all these talks, uh, like he was giving it. No, that's not what I think. Actually, that's what I thought I was initially going to think. But the more that I was giving the talks, the more that I was like, whoa, man, I'm actually the sidekick. It's the idea that's king. And this is where you can learn something very useful from Pixar. Um, so Pixar doesn't get enough credit that it deserves uh, because it's not just an animation company. If you really look into the company, they were pioneers in terms of um, computer graphics, uh, animation technology, and much more. Like They were the tra trailblazers in regards to that. And when Pixar was first becoming a public company, uh, many people were like, um, you guys are some sort of co computer company, right? Uh, 
I believe in the initial stages, they were selling um, uh, animation printers. So that was their perception. Uh, they were supposed to be like these computer companies. But one of the founders was like, nah, that's not what we are. We're not centering our uh, brand, Pixar, on computers first. Instead, the computers are simply a glorified pencil. It's the story that is king. And simply by hammering home this philosophy into the Pixar culture, in the beginning stages, Pixar was just coming out with one classic after the next. They came out with Toy Story 1, and uh, from there they started the sequel and such. But that's what they were. They were a storytelling company first, and the computers, despite how much of trailblazers they were in regards to the uh, computers, it was still a glorified pencil. So that's what great communication is really about. It's about moving out of the way and letting the idea be king first. Now, this brings us to another topic. How exactly do you know what your idea should be in the first place? And this is where you can't cheat the process. You know, I, I was going through Twitter a couple of um, weeks back, and every now and then I'll get one of my old tweets and retweet it. Uh, just for a clarification uh, of concepts for me, because what you repeat, you become. Uh, but also because every now and then I get new followers that are coming in, and I'm like, let me allow uh, the new followers uh, to get uh, get introduced to some of my old material. So as I pull up like one of these tweets that I have memorized in my mind, I pull it up, I see a bunch of people that straight up plagiarize the tweet. And I was like, what the heck? Now, granted, a lot of these uh, accounts were small accounts. Okay, so a, a lot of small accounts do this. They'll get a big account's um, uh, tweet. They'll just take it and put it on their account to grow their audience. If they don't do it on Twitter, they'll repeat it on another platform, sometimes Facebook. And the opposite also holds true. Uh, it, this is what like really piqued my interest. I saw this big account. I'm talking over let's say 150,000 followers, literally plagiarized my tweet. And he, he was a little slick with it too. He put like, he took away um, the, uh, the spaces. So it will be hard to track down. But somehow like, uh, like I still found it. And this guy is just like blatantly uh, copying the tweet. And that's when I realized like, who is this guy? You know? And he's a guy that... Uh, showcased what's wrong with a lot of people that create online. They skipped the process. They're over here grabbing other people's tweets. They're over here getting ghostwriters to write their work. They're over here just uh, taking shortcuts. See, here's the thing with shortcuts. It should optimize a plan that you already have. A shortcut should not be your plan. So it's like if you're already getting something up and running, now it should be like, okay, how can I uh, eliminate the redundancies in order to optimize this process even more? That's a shortcut done the correct way. But if you're just like, how can I just skip the entire process? That's shortcuts done the wrong way. And a lot of people do it like that. So these guys never learn how to think. It's like if you are like, hey, I'm going to put a camera in front of you. I want you to go on and speak about whatever you stand for, whatever the theme of your brand is, you know what they're going to be like? They're going to be like, for the entire hour. They're silly with it. So to answer the initial question, how exactly do you get these ideas in the first place? It really comes down to putting in the work. So that's the mindset aspect of it. Now, the, the system side of it, like how exactly do you do it? And this is how I like to view it. I like to view content creation very similar to data storytelling. Uh, let me give you two examples real quick. Imagine one example. There's this uh, guy who has been given all of the data in regards to Airbnbs in Chicago. Okay? This is the first scenario. But there's a problem. This guy hates Airbnbs, and he never plans to go to Chicago. Now, you're like to this individual... Well, go on, uh, do something with this data. What's the most that he can do? He's just going to be like, um, I don't know, 
I guess the, this Airbnb looks cool. I really don't know. So he's not doing too much in this scenario. Now picture another scenario. Picture the same exact guy with all the data of Airbnbs in Chicago. And this time, his boss comes running into his office and he's like, hey, I need your help. I'm supposed to take my wife uh, to Chicago and I need a place uh, to stay, preferably an Airbnb. In this scenario, can this guy do a lot more with the data? Of course. It's because he has been given a narrative. So this is what um, great ideas are like. With great ideas, like you don't need to do market research on all these other people. You have all the data. You technically have the data of the Airbnbs in Chicago, and that's called your experiences. But if you don't have a narrative, now you're like that first scenario where you're just the guy that is just like, oh, I hate Airbnbs in the first place. But if you have some sort of narrative, now you can look at your experiences from a completely different eye. Uh, so I like to view the narrative as like the sunglass to uh, your reality. And it's very simple with the Armani Talks brand, if you're curious. Uh, my uh, brand, um, the mantra is confidence through communication. And each of those words have sub-meanings as well, which isn't important for a general uh, consumer. Let's say they're just watching a YouTube video. They don't need to know the sub-divisions uh, of like my, my mantra. But I should know it. So when someone says confidence, what do they really mean? I'm talking about clarity. I'm talking about the windshield wiper wiping away any haze on the windshield. I'm talking about clarity through, like, through. That's what I call the process. Like, you're not just going to get confidence. You got to actually put in the work. Then communication, this is broken down into certain uh, skill sets of communication. Because if someone's like, I just want to be a better communicator, uh, it's not saying much. What is communication broken down into? And the Armani Talks philosophy is that there's a few core soft skills. There's concentration, there's public speaking, storytelling, social skills, emotional resilience, content creation, and such. So that's my sunglass to my experiences. So nowadays, when I'm over here looking at my experiences, I'm capable of breaking it down in a very uh, unique way. Ways that other people can't because number one, they don't have the same experiences as I do. And number two, uh, they don't have the same narrative as I do. So I'm capable of creating unique ideas this way. And the process of creating the ideas is us articulating it out loud. This is the individual who is capable of creating breathtaking ideas rather than just stealing from others. Why would you want to do that? I mean, when you're over here stealing from others, what really happens is that uh, you're a short-term thinker. And not only are you a short-term thinker, what also happens is that you, you're eventually going to get wiped out. That's just how it works. The internet does not reward short-term thinkers. The internet rewards long-term thinkers. But here's, the, uh, here's like a little weird thing that I've noticed. It, it, it's one of those life ironies. Short-term thinkers view long-term thinkers as uh, either lazy or moronic. And long-term thinkers view short-term thinkers as lazy or moronic. So these guys that are over here copying my tweets, they're probably like, well, what the hell is Armani doing? Why is he over here writing this original content? Why doesn't he just steal too? This guy's such a moron. While I'm over here looking at these guys, and I'm like, man, like, don't they know that they're not exercising their critical thinking faculties? They're going to get wiped out eventually. What a moron. <laughs> so it's like this weird uh, dynamic that I've noticed with uh, people in general. It's like the polar opposites of the spectrum uh, end up judging each other. So uh, th that's one thing that I've noticed. But in many ways, uh, this is the golden era of content creation, uh, where a couple of years back, uh, not even a couple of years, probably like roughly over a century ago, um, most, uh, most of the individuals within a society, they had some form of, um, they had some form of an invention. Like if you wanted to show your face in the society, they'll be like, Hey, dog, uh, what kind of invention you got? And if you're like, 
well, I don't have any inventions. They're going to be like, you don't have any inventions? Well, what are you working on? And you're like, oh, I'm not working on anything either. They're going to be like, man, this guy doesn't have any inventions, not working on anything. Uh, this guy's a bozo. And that's what they're going to be thinking of you. Uh, so our remix to that uh, in nowadays is that you don't necessarily need an actual invention, but what you, like our version of that is having some sort of content piece that you can call yours. So in the future, I see a lot of people doing some form of content creation, whether it's a YouTube video, whether it's uh, creating memes in their group chat, or whether it's actually, uh, like let's say you're in the corporate uh, job, you're going to be like, well, I'm no YouTuber, no podcaster either, and I'm definitely not making any memes for any group chat. What do I need content creation for? Here's the thing. Nowadays, what I've noticed is that a lot of subject matter experts are being told to uh, create content. And the content that they're creating are like these training classes. So don't be surprised if in the future, in your corporate job, someone comes knocking at your door and they're like, hey, uh, Timothy, you're, uh, you, you're the head honcho of uh, H2C, the application. How about you start uh, creating some procedures on it for the new recruits? Uh, make sure your procedures are simple in language so you're not confusing them. Hey, Timothy, how about you host a class on this and we record the class and we pu put it on our SharePoint so other people from around the globe, you know, because our team has branches in India, Australia, Singapore and such, can also watch your content and suddenly even though you're not a YouTuber, you're still creating some form of content. So view it like that. It's, it's like, it doesn't matter if you're like creating some sort of content or not. Eventually, if you know a lot, you're going to be called upon to do something, whether it's in the written word, the spoken word, or both. And this is what I respect, the, the, the third group, both. Like they can write and they can speak. Fam, you are a monster with it, a good kind of monster. And the reason that I say this is because most people don't understand how close they are to that third step. It's like, if you could write, great, okay? If you could speak, great. But why not combine the two? It's like the two feed off of one another. You got to understand that. It's like if you go up to someone that's over here, like working out a lot, you don't ask them like, hey, uh, do you prefer, do you prefer lifting or sleeping? They're going to be like, well, the better I sleep, the better I can lift, the better I lift, the better that I sleep. It's a synergistic process. They don't just view it like this. They view it more like this wheel that feeds off one another. And it's the same thing with speaking and writing. Because plenty of times what happens is I want to speak on a certain topic, but I don't necessarily know my position on it at all. So what I do is I run a daily newsletter, random plug, armanitalks.com slash newsletter, and I'll write it out. And the more that I write it out, and now my thoughts go from hazy to clear on this particular subject, and then boom, I could create a YouTube video on it. And the more that I create the YouTube video on it, sometimes I'll take a different route in the YouTube video where I'm like, whoa, I wasn't expecting that. And then I could feed it off into writing something else. And just like that, this wheel is reinforcing one another. And I'm learning to speak and I'm learning to write. Now, granted, uh, both of these fields have their unique challenges as well. For example, with speaking. One thing with speaking that people don't understand is that it can take a toll on your body. Because what is speaking? You're over here organizing your thoughts. You're delivering your thoughts so you got to be able to uh, control your breath because that's all the voice is it's processed breath and you got to make sure you're not like super tubby or anything uh, to not run out of energy so quick so speaking in many ways it's not just an intellectual exercise it requires physical exercise as well so the better that you can speak uh, and the better in shape that you are the more that you set yourself up for long-term success and even if you're in shape that doesn't guarantee that you're not going to run out of breath whenever you're speaking. Uh, because 
let's say something like uh, let's say something like impromptu speaking what happens with that is you're over here thinking on the fly right someone gives you a topic and you're over here just thinking on the fly you know what that requires more thinking and since you're thinking on the fly or better yet more cognitive effort what happens now is that you are uh, going to be somewhat jagged with your breath okay so don't be surprised if you're learning impromptu speaking for the first time. You keep noticing yourself like your neck is getting stiff out of the blue moon. Your back is hurting. Your breath is all over the place. This is you pretty much training your body into a new way of existence. So these are certain pain points that exist with the, the speaking route. What are certain pain points of the writing route? Well, let's say you're someone that writes with a pen. I actually do want to talk about this, but I want to take a little departure to really drive this point home that I'm going to make. There was this one time when I was in class, and I believe this was history class or something, and my professor was showing me like this old school like simulation pic of like our ancient ancestors. And one of these um, people in the picture, it was like a little kid, like I would say seven years old, and he's walking across this log. This log is above this large body of water and he's walking while holding like a bunch of things on uh, over his shoulder, over both shoulders actually, now that I think about it. And he's just effortlessly walking across this log. And it's not like a fat log either. It's a somewhat s a slim log. So he's having to put one foot in front of the other while balancing above a large body of water. And I'm like, wow, what a complex move. Like, imagine you tell me to do something like that right now. Imagine you tell the average person to do something like that right now. They're going to be like, I can't do that. And if you want me to do that, you better, like, let me train for it. But for them, it was just autopilot. Now, get this person from the past and bring him to the present day. If they see us writing with our hand like this, believe it or not, they're going to get the same like, whoa, like, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm writing. And they're like, no, what are you exactly doing? And this is when I break down what the writing process really is. Well, fam, I'm over here uh, pulling the memories out of my database. I'm organizing my thoughts into words. I am exercising my motor sensory skills by... Uh, doing precision in terms of writing these words. I'm doing all this stuff. And this ancient ancestor is going to be like, uh, whoa, like that must be very difficult. And I'm like, you want to try? And this ancient ancestor is going to be like, well, you better give me some time to prepare. You see? So what I was in awe of, the past ancestors are going to be in awe of this. This is one of the first ever technology out there. And this technology, the pen, is responsible for the creative renaissance. Because before, uh, the ink and the pen holder were separate. So just imagine, like, you're trying to write like those old school people did. You're over here, like, you got some great ideas. And each time you're like, you got to dabble uh, the, the utensil in the ink. That's annoying. But once the ink and the tool were combined... Now, it's like if you're having like these creative insights, you could just get it out there quick. Okay, so the pen is the first big information systems breakthrough. And the, the challenges with writing is very similar with the challenges with speaking. Like when you're over here writing like this, like we don't write by hand as much as we used to. Nowadays, a lot of people type. So if you're someone that's over here trying to actually write by your hand, in the initial stages, there's going to be a lot of physical pain that's involved. You're going to be like, oh, man, like my, um, my forearm is getting stiff. I still have the ideas, but it's like, oh, man, my forearms are getting stiff. And when it's getting stiff, it's very hard to just push it through. Uh, this is why I recommend a, a gel pen in the beginning stages, uh, not a ballpoint pen. But there's the physical sides of it. But it's like if you're gradually working on both, speaking and writing, speaking and writing, then what begins to happen is you're gradually 
starting off this wheel, you're gradually just going to get better. And this is where you're getting these ideas and you're really learning to think uh, things through. Uh, there's the digital route, there's the analog route, and once again, it's like, why do you want to pick and choose? Like, you'll see certain people that have a lot of pride. They're like, well, back in my days, uh, we used to do analog, all right? So uh, I'm going to stick with analog. Screw this digital. And there are certain people within digital that are like, why would I write by hand? I mean, I have a, a laptop for a reason. Where in both scenarios, both groups are right. Analog in a digital world will help a lot of people. A lot of people, they think a lot. And they think thinking a lot is good. It's not. And I'm actually going to shortly break down the difference between thinking and being. But if you're incorporating analog into a digital world, let's say you're someone that's like, okay, every now and then um, at the end of my day, I'm going to write by hand. Or let's say I'm going to create a mind map. I'm going to do it with an analog feature like a pen. You, my friend, are grabbing your mind and you're slowing it down, then you're externalizing it. Okay, so this is helping you be more in the present. Now, incorporating digital into an analog world is also important because if you're trying to do everything by analog, you're just going to be too slow. Things are changing all the time nowadays. And one thing that the new generation does not condone is moving too slow. You got to move like you have urgency. See, when you have a abundance mentality towards time, you get a lazy person. When you have a scarce mentality towards time, you get ambition. So it's like, quit having so much time, dog. Uh, have some urgency. And that's where digital into analog helps out tremendously. Now, with that being said, I said I was going to tell you the difference between thinking and being. Thinking is, is a, a faculty, Okay, something that we can engage at will. Being is what we naturally are. So let me give you two examples. First, let's say I ask you, hey, um, what's the capital of uh, Idaho or something like that? And you don't know. What are you going to do? Chances are you're going to pull out your phone, you're going to Google it, and you're going to give me the answer. Now, imagine after you gave me the answer, you're still just Googling different stuff, stuff just like willy nilly that, that's not serving you any purpose. Is that smart? Not really. I mean, you're just wasting time. It's like once you once you got the answer, now you can put your phone away. It's very similar to uh, to thinking and being. It's like if I need my mind for something like right now, I'm doing some thinking as I'm trying to think out loud, aka uh, D-T-O-L-D formula, thinking out loud. For some reason, they combined L and D. Now I'm thinking. But once I'm done, I could just go back to being. Now, being is my present uh, state. So I'll give you a more comical example. Imagine there's um, this alternate universe, okay? It's very similar to this current uh, reality that we live in. But uh, people are a little strange. They're over here, like, they have their phone, and they're over here just glued to their phone, right? They process their entire life just with their face on their phone. They'll be like, hey, um, do you want to hang out? The other person accepts. Uh, they're hanging out, and they're over here just, like, texting each other the entire time. Um, so one day, uh, like, uh, like, this, one day, what happens is... Um, there's a guy that's like over on his phone, right? He's just looking at it because this is just a norm in Digiverse. And there's a guy that's next to this fellow. Let's call the guy that I'm speaking of right now. Let's say his name is Alex. Alex is over here looking at his phone. He's searching something. And the person next to him in the bus stop just keeps coughing. And he's coughing very loud. And he's coughing in a way that's getting Alex to lose his concentration Eventually, what happens is Alex is like, uh, he's trying to type. The guys, the other guy's like, <clears throat> and Alex is like, will you please knock it off? And when he says that, he momentarily puts his phone down. And once he puts his phone down, he begins to look at the world around him. And he sees that there's 
an actual world around him. And that's when he makes a breakthrough. He's like, wait a minute. My phone, it's simply a tool. It's not who I am. So I'll only use the tool when I need it. Other than that, I'll just live in the present moment. So now Alex is over here going to his friends and he's like, hey, guys, put your phone down. This is just a tool. And they're like, no, no, no. This is who I am. They don't believe Alex. And that's just what it's like in the real world. A lot of people view thinking as breathing. They're like, man, if I stop thinking, then I'm going to die. It's like, no, fam. Thinking is simply a faculty of your mind. The mind is simply a tool. So view it like that. And if you could view it like that, it's, it opens up a huge portal towards your reality. Now, this is where something else comes into mind. It's like, how can we think better? And if you were listening closely, I already answered that question. You're over here uh, creating ideas. And the more ideas that you create, the more that you gradually just bring the separation between yourself and the mind. Nowadays, like uh, like the Armani, nowadays that's created like 500 videos, 500 podcasts, 500 blogs. I'm much different than me before I created all that. Before, I was like, I am the mind. And nowadays, I'm like, nah, man. The mind is simply a tool that just generates creative insights on autopilot. I find it very strange when someone's like, well, I'm not a good storyteller. But they're a very good whiner. And if you're a good whiner uh, and a gossiper, what are you really doing? You're just telling stories. It's like if someone cuts you off in traffic uh, and then you, you're really tempted to cut them off, but you don't, and then uh, you come back home, your wife is like, hey, um, uh, hey, what's up with the long face? And now you, you're like, man, you won't believe it. This thug came out of the blue moon in this dark night and just cut me off, and I almost died, and you're over here just amping this up. You're making this other individual that cut you off the villain. You're making yourself the protagonist. You're like, but me, I showed emotional restraint. I, uh, I could have done the same thing back, but I'm the bigger man. You know, you're, you're over here just storytelling. And is someone telling you to do this? No, it's just a faculty of the mind. So the more that you actually just make yourself aware that you're storytelling, and the more that you actually just crystallize it, you'll realize that communication is not too far from meditation. It's not far at all. Because I get it. Uh, I know a lot of individuals that are like, yo, I really want to uh, meditate, but I just can't, man. Like, I've just been through too much. And I'm at that stage when I just close my eyes and try to meditate even for 10 minutes. It's just like, I find it difficult. That's when I'm like, fam, like, why are you trying to meditate for 10 minutes from the very beginning? That's like you, uh, you're a guy that's never worked out before, and you're trying to go to the gym for the first time and trying to bench 225 pounds. Now, is 225 pounds the most? No. Uh, a lot of people that have been to the gym for a decent amount of time can rep 225 pounds. But for a newbie trying to hit 225 pounds, that's a lot. It's very similar with meditation. Is 10 minutes a lot? No, especially if you've been meditating for some time. But for a newbie, is it a lot? Hell yeah, it feels like an eternity. So you start off with 30 seconds to a minute, and you gradually work your way up. But let's say you don't even want to do that. At least do some type of content creation, because that's all you're doing with content creation. Like Content creation and meditating ultimately lead to, to the same conclusion. You are watching your thoughts. You are not your thoughts. Like, if I tell you right now to uh, picture a purple elephant, you can do it. But are you the purple elephant? No. It's like, no, man. I mean, that's just something that my mind is capable of doing. So all this sounds like, like common sense. But common sense isn't common practice. You see? So that's why I, I really do believe that if you can write and you can speak, and you understand basic information technology. And information technology is broken down into computers and networks. If you can understand that, you could build something very good 
nowadays, especially in the the renaissance, the creative renaissance. And nowadays, when you're going up to people, someone's like, Man, I've been working on this, this, this. What have you been working on? You don't have to be like, well, I'm not working on anything. Oh, um, me? I, I, I've been... Uh, I started this private YouTube channel recently where I'm over here just talking about different ideas. A lot of people don't know about the private YouTube channel hack though. Uh, this is a hack that I work with uh, with some of my clients. So uh, a few of the clients that I've worked with are people that can teach me as well. Like some of them are like CEOs of companies. Some of them have been on TV shows. Some of them are like introverted entrepreneurs, like very high level engineers. So they're teaching me in the process. I'm teaching them. And one thing that I try to do with them is like, if they're struggling with uh, speaking skills, I'm like, dude, make a private YouTube channel. At first they're like, oh no, no. I mean, what if other people see it? I'm like, dude, people aren't going to see it. No one, but you and me, of course, we can do a little bit of evaluations every now and then. So they do it. And let's say three weeks goes on by, they feel so happy with the decision because you're basically chronicling your life and you're watching yourself in real time. And in the future, let's say you aren't as self-conscious as you once were, you could always make the videos public. That's the biggest difference between a private channel and a public channel. A private channel, you just keep the videos on private, while with a public channel, you literally drag and drop it to public. I'm surprised more people don't do this, but it's smart. It's smart just for confidence building because what's one of the biggest reasons people are struggling with confidence? So to answer that question, it's a multi-layered question. One of the biggest enemies of confidence is anxiety. Now, what is the biggest culprit of anxiety? Is it test anxiety? Is it public speaking anxiety? Is it social anxiety? I'll answer the question. 85 to 99% of your anxiety comes from other people, right? Uh, beside test anxiety, that's like a little outlier. That's more about just you. But most of them is just like a, a bunch of eyeballs looking at you and judging you. Human beings are not afraid of, of failing. Human beings are afraid of being judged for failing. But even in terms of humans, so like from all the enemy of confidence is anxiety the uh, main culprit of anxiety is a bunch of eyeballs looking at us. Now, l let me ask you something. Let's say you were voted the most handsome man on the planet. Do you care if a lot of eyeballs are looking at you? And not really. You're going to be like, keep looking at me more. Like, go take some pictures, paparazzi. But if you think you look ugly, do you feel self-conscious when other people are looking at you? Hell yeah. And there's actually a phrase for this. It's known as the illusion of transparency. This is when uh, you believe that your internal nerves are leaking out to the public. In addition to this, the spotlight effect uh, makes it uh, seem as though that there's this spotlight over you. So when you're going to an event, you feel like everyone's over here looking at you. You see? So the mix between the illusion of transparency and the spotlight effect is what makes you feel as though you look ugly whenever you're speaking. But when you create these private YouTube channels and you're over here watching your talks back, now you actually understand what you look like. Now you may be like, bro, I already know what I look like. If someone tags me in a Facebook post, I could automatically identify my face. Yes, that's something you're capable of doing with assistance. A lot of people can spot out what they look like when they look at a picture but you tell them to close their eyes and re recreate themselves, they're going to be like, oh man, this is blurry. So they don't really know what they look like. And when you don't know what you look like, what happens is that there's this level of uncertainty that's created. And when you have this level of uncertainty, what happens is you have doubt. And when you have doubt and you mix that in with the illusion of transparency and the spotlight effect, you get anxiety, which eventually kills your confidence. So once you think it all the way through, if you can have this practice where you are consciously creating talks, watching it back, then over time, what begins to happen is that you're becoming pretty comfortable with the way that you look. 
And as you become comfortable with the way that you look, a lot of your anxiety on the top level is beginning to melt away. Now, when you're watching yourself back, there's an art to this. See, this is why I like athletics a lot. Because athletics, a lot of the average sports players, they don't watch their films film back. But for the great athletes, they're watching their film back. Why? It's because of this concept known as psychoneuromuscular theory, which basically means that the imagery influences your nervous system. And it's very easy to watch film incorrectly. In football, for example, they're trying to break down every single little play. But when you're watching yourself back on YouTube, you don't want to break down every single last play. Like, why did I blink so fast in this example? Uh, why did I uh, look like this? Why did I make that facial gesture? No, that's a reductionist thinking where you're just trying to break things apart. Instead, we want a systems thinking. We want to look at the big picture. So I recommend that you watch yourself back on TV, not your phone. Uh, the, the reason we want to do it with a TV is because uh, your TV, uh, the digital version of you on the TV, the head size is very similar to your real life head size. While on the phone, you're too tiny. Whenever you see like something that really looks like you, now your subconscious mind is like, wait, wait, wait that's you. You know, it, it fools you into thinking you're you, uh, because the subconscious mind really likes personalization. Like, if your name is Armand, and I call you Rick, like, you don't really feel much with Rick. If someone says Armand, like, you feel it in the heart. So whenever you're watching yourself back on TV, it feels like the real you. So now you're engaged, and I just sit back and watch. As you're watching it, it's like, you're just feeling different sensations in your body. Sometimes you really like what you did. You're like, whoa, like, that was good. Man, I didn't know it was that funny. But other times you're like, mm, I'm not really feeling that. And what's happening is that your subconscious mind is making a note of it. And it's something that you can apply into the future. What? You thought your subconscious mind was a dummy? Nah. This is the mind that was engaged by our primal ancestors. It picks up data that you're consciously not picking up. So when you're feeling certain sensations in your body as you're watching yourself, you're looking at the big picture first. And this is what leads to improvements into the future. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know that there's a big picture. See, that's how I know the difference between a leader versus a follower. A follower looks too much at their own role. Like when I was working in my career, I noticed so many individuals that were so freaking brilliant, but they weren't ever rising. They were just, they had like a bad kind of experience where like the good kind of experience makes you like look younger as you're technically aging is because you have like more curiosity. The more that you know, the more that you realize that you have more to know. So that's a good kind of experience. But a lot of these guys had the bad kinds of experience where they're like, I've been working in the company for 15 years. Whew. You know, they're whining by the, the coffee uh, place all the time. Just bad vibes. And these guys were geniuses. It's like they didn't even know that they were geniuses. The reason why is because they never understood the big picture. You ask them, how does your role serve the comp company? Not just you not just your tiny little team, but serves the company, they're going to be like, uh, I don't know. But they should know. It's like, that's what you're eventually working towards. Like, it would be great if you have the big picture understanding from the very beginning, because now you'll feel uh, inspiration anytime you're doing your own work. That's the work that you know makes a difference. You're like, oh, you didn't know how my role helps the entire company? Here, sit down. I'll tell you. That's like, that's how you get purpose in your work. So if you're a manager, whenever you're thinking about motivating your employees, one of the first things you may think of is, okay, I got to like, you know, stand on a table and give this rah-rah speech. Incorrect. That is not what you want to do. Instead, what you want to do is you want to compartmentalize then dominate. Now, what does this mean? 
what this means is that compartmentalize. Let, let's just first understand that word. That's when you're getting the right people. So let's say you're over here uh, trying to educate one member from this team. Do you have to invite the entire team? No. You just invite that one member. So you bring them to your office. A lot of leaders get this part wrong. They'll just give this big motivational talk to the entire uh, team, and they don't really need to hear it. They're bored, and it doesn't stick. But you get that one member, so you have compartmentalized them. Now you want to dominate, and dominating pretty much just means giving them perspective. And to give someone perspective, you have to know where they are and where they want to go. And from there, it's all about just giving them that big picture understanding. And the more that they have that big picture understanding, the more they're like, I'm ready. Let, let me do my job this time, okay? Because I at least know why I'm doing the certain job. Like one, one of my internships, I recall like this manager that I was paired up with, Ron, he was a really nice guy, but he was so busy. And he just had me doing all these different Excel sheets. And I'm just like, man, like, why am I doing all these Excel sheets for I didn't have any context. So a couple of weeks goes on by. And one day there was this lady named Melissa that uh, came to my cube. She's like, hey, are you Arman? I was like, yeah. She's like, walk with me. So she takes me into this office and she's like, do you know how much you've been helping my team? I was like, what the hell are you talking about? And that's when she starts creating a bunch of these boxes. And she basically is using a lot of the similar language that I was using in my Excel sheets. And then she begins explaining these different boxes and she's connecting them in unique ways. She's like, you know, the Excel sheets that you've been working on. So what you ended up doing is that you ended up standardizing the entire process. So there's a thing called like APAC, EMEA, like APAC means uh, American Pacific or Asian Pacific, whatever. EMEA means Europe, Middle Eastern, something like that. And basically, long story short, her team is all from uh, different parts of the world. So there was a lot of miscommunication that was going on. My Excel sheets pretty much standardized the entire process. So they're speaking in similar language in terms of the time zone. So now she's over here thanking me. She's like, you've made things so much more efficient with your Excel sheets. So now I had the big picture understanding. I was like, yeah, I did that, man. She's like, yeah, you did that. So a couple of weeks goes on by. And basically at this stage, once the internship is wrapping up, uh, I basically have to, um, the interns have to basically go in front of their team and talk about the value that they brought to the company. And that will determine if they get a full-time position. Okay. If I didn't have that conversation with Melissa, I don't know if I would have gotten the full-time position because all I could say is, well, I created a bunch of Excel sheets and if they were to press me on it, well, what did your Excel sheets exactly do? I'm like, I don't know. Ron told me to do it. You think I'm getting a full-time position that way? No. But that conversation with Melissa, she gave me perspective and I'm like, man, I saved X amount of time, which helped with X amount of productivity, which helped with uh, X amount of cost saved. That gets you a full-time offer. So whenever you're trying to motivate someone, it's not always about just like yelling at them or like uh, just motivating them with fluff. Motivate them with substance and really comes down to seeing where they are. People miss the step entirely. They just completely ignore it, and they're telling people where they need to go. But if you skip where they are, and you're just telling someone where to go, then you are a boss, not a leader. A boss uh, tells you what to do, while a leader inspires you on what you should do yourself. So that part's very important. And uh, like the episode's about to wrap up, so let me just tell you like when I learned why it's so important to know where the hell you are. I actually heard that quote from Bob Proctor, a very smart man. And Bob Proctor was like, in order to know uh, uh, where you're going, you need to know where you are. I was like, that is one of the stupidest things I've ever heard. Duh. Uh, So I didn't really take that quote seriously. One day, I moved to a new place in, uh, in Tampa, and every morning I go for these walks. 
So one day, you know, your boy's uh, got his uh, headphones on. He's listening uh, to some music, listen, listening to some Jay Sean. And I was vibing. You know, I was walking. I walk really fast. A lot of my shoes, at the backs of it have holes in it. And I'm over here walking in such a way where I suddenly look up. And I'm like, where the hell am I? And mind you, I walk very early in the morning. So it's like 5 a.m. There's no one in sight. And I'm in a new area. So I'm like, where am I? I check my phone. I'm about to GPS back. And I only have uh, 2% battery life left. So as I pull up the GPS, uh, the phone lied to me. It just died automatically. I was like, oh, no. Like, I'm in the middle of nowhere. I don't know where the hell I am. I know where I'm supposed to go. Back to where I live, but I don't know where I am. So now I'm over here going from one dead end to the another dead end. And eventually it gets to a point where I scrape my, uh, my knuckles on like this brick wall and I'm bleeding from my knuckles and I'm wearing a white shirt. So I put my bloody knuckles on my white shirt like this. And now like there's blood pouring on my white shirt. It looks like I got stabbed. So what begins to happen is that now the sun is coming out, more people are uh, getting on the streets, and they see this sweaty brown guy with a white shirt that looks like he just got stabbed, he's bleeding, and they're like, sir, do you need any help? But at this point, my, my pride got into it. I was like, no, nah, no, nah, man, I don't need any help. I'm going to figure this out my way. So I'm going on all these different dead ends, and eventually I'm picking up the data. I'm like, wait a minute, this particular store, I was already around here. So from these two paths, I'm not going to take this path because I already took it. And I take another path. And eventually, I just, from a process of elimination, what happens is that I end up at a certain place where I recognize the building. And in this building, on top of it, there's always this bird that's just chilling, like looking down at you. It's like, should I take a shit on you or not? Nah? And on this particular day, it looked at me and it's like, nah, man, you look like you've been through hell and back. I'm not going to take on a shit on you today. And eventually I got back. But that's when the, the concept really hit home. Imagine if I was lost and someone was like, hey, fam, like you just got to go back to your place. All right. Then someone else came to me and it's like, just go back to your place. Eventually, just hearing that, I'm going to get annoyed. I'm like, dude. I know I need to go back to my place. I just don't know where I am right now. Okay? So a lot of people are like that. And if you're a leader, you're capable of just giving them some clarification. Like, hey, I see where you are right now. You're at a place where uh, you just mentioned you got in a car accident, right? Um, so you've been, is your insurance covering your, uh, like the, the rental car? No, you're putting, you're taking it out of pocket. Oh man, so you must be in a very dark place right now. That's probably explaining why you're missing a couple of the deadlines and such. I get it, okay? But here's the thing. We all go through tough moments in our career and you're no different. Eventually, you're going to bounce back. Your car is getting fixed, right? Okay, you're going to bounce back. You're, you're giving them clarity on where they are. They're like, man, this guy's like reading my mind, Okay. Now, you mentioned in the beginning of this year that you wanted this particular promotion. It's not too late. You can actually still do it. And this is what you need to do to get here. Now you're giving them direction. And from that direction, the person is going to leave the office and they're going to feel inspired. You know? And they're going to tie that inspiration in with you. And simply for making them feel understood, they're going to be like, you know, uh, I'm going to do my best. A lot of the times, like this works in theory, but you may be dealing with an actual bum that doesn't want anything more. And they're actually just going to be wallowing in misery. But at least you as a leader know that you properly identified where they are and you gave them direction to go uh, a certain path into the future. And this skill set holds a very beneficial throughout your leadership journey. In the future, rather than just barking commands at someone, you're capable of engaging their narrative mind even better. And the better that you engage their narrative mind, homie, the more that they're going to love you. 
they're not going to know why exactly. They're going to be like, I really like this guy, but I can't quite put it into words. But you'll know. You'll know because you put in the practice. And through that practice, you simply got better and better. So if you enjoyed today's talk, I mean, I'm at an hour. Um, you could uh, definitely, like if you're listening from YouTube, uh, go on and subscribe to the channel. I uh, Drop that like and hit that bell notification so you could stay updated for more videos. And if you're listening from podcast, I don't know which podcast provider you're listening from, but try to leave me a review if you can. Uh, each review helps me out tremendously. So with that being said, thank you very much for joining the Armani Talks podcast, and I'll catch you next time.